This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The New Statesman. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm executive producer Chris Stone. Today we're bringing you a recording from our Path to Power conference which delved inside the Labour Party machine as it gears up for an election in 2024. In this conversation, our political editor Andrew Marr sits down with Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, to discuss why 2024 could be a bigger moment for Labour than 1997. It's a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous day. Manchester weather, Andy. Manchester weather. Um, and it's really good to have you here. Thank we'll... you, Andrew. Morning, everyone. Andy, it's been six years, King of the North and all of that. Um, let me start by asking where you see um, the whole levelling up agenda. We've heard fantastic language about it from the current government. Wonderful words, wonderful bits of paper, and almost nothing happens, it seems, on the ground. That's one way of looking at it, Andrew. There is a more positive way of looking at it, which is we've now, uh, between us, myself and the, the other mayors, established a new system of governance outside of Westminster, already covering the population of about half of the UK. And if you came to city centre Manchester with its blue skies, as you, as you say, and, uh, 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 and its exciting atmosphere, the skyline of our city looks very different today than it would have looked even five years ago. There is something happening, something changing. We are making some improvements. So through the role that I have, I'm the first mayor to put buses back under public control. We're building mm. a London-style public transport system. So it isn't full fat levelling up of the kind that Boris Johnson uh, uh, lied to us about. It is... Um, but stuff is a happening. Start. More, it's more than a start. We're, we're doing something. Mm. We just wait for a Labour government to really get behind us and really get it going, because we are really ready yeah. to go. Well, that's on cue. I'd like to ask you about your um, sense of where this is nationally, politically, because um, we have a, probably another year, maybe another year to go before the election, and we have um, a Labour Party really, really concerned, I think, at a national level about the spending constraints ahead, about the, the low growth in the economy, low productivity, all the things we know about, the huge levels of debt, and wondering how they are going to act in a progressive way in power. How do you see um, this year in the context of previous pre-election years? In some ways, it's a very different one, and you could say less hopeful in, in, mm. uh, in, in its sort of uh, outlook because of the reasons that you gave. But one of the big messages I wanted to leave you all with today is that I actually think 24 
could be a better moment than 97. Now, wow. I, know, I know that feels okay. counterintuitive that to say. That is really interesting. But having lived through that and coming into this, I, I think there are things that actually could work in Labour's favour. For instance, we would not have the same weight of expectation that came in 1997 with that, with, with that majority and that kind of mood that swept us in, mm. into power. It's a kind of more realistic mood, and I think perhaps easier for a government to deal with without that weight of expectation mm. uh, on, on our shoulders. The second thing is what I just said a moment ago about a, a new infrastructure across the country to deliver in the regions. We didn't have that in 97. John Prescott had to go about building one, the regional development agencies. Mm. That took a few years, and so you had the sort of expectation, but the, the, an inability to deliver in 97. Mm. Whereas now you've got less pressure in some ways, but you've got a delivery system in the big city regions waiting there to be, to be used. And I do think there could be big things done in a parliament. So if I could just quickly explain. From the plans that we've got, I know that if we got the right backing from Angela straight off, we could build 5,000 zero-carbon council homes within a parliament. So new generation council homes, cheaper to rent, cheaper to run, a big sort of ticket uh, agenda. You could focus them on young people particularly. I think it'd be a real yeah, vote-winning right. policy. We could integrate commuter rail in the B network, our London-style system, within a parliament. So you could have locally, publicly controlled, integrated transport. Certainly. One single ticket. Yes. And we're working to that over bus, bike and tram at the moment. But you would add rail into that. Then we would have a, you know, a full uh, TFL-style system. We are building the country's first integrated technical education system. Two equal routes. One academic at 14. Another technical. That could be done uh, within, within a parliament. We could start building a new railway line across the north of England from east to west. We could start in the next parliament. So you can see what I'm saying. If we get at it on the front foot and go quickly, I think we could show real change very quickly because of the work we've done to get ready for levelling up. They never did it, but now we're ready to work with the Labour government. So what you're really saying is that the, the structures and the optimism and the energy is already there in the north. My question is, are you convinced that the south, are you convinced that London in particular will be genuinely prepared under a Labour government to make the institutional and the structural changes to devolution that are going to be necessary? I'm thinking of the Gordon Brown agenda, the whole of the Gordon Brown agenda. I really hope so, and that will be one message I would ask the party to take on board. You know, there's always this sense around, particularly when a, a government comes in, of, of, of saying, oh, well, we'll get round to the constitutional things. They're not, you know, they're not a priority for now. I, I would say that is the wrong thinking. We, we should have rewired the country in 97, and we didn't. We, we kind of did a botch job, basically. Mm. You know, a bit of House of Lords reform, incomplete devolution. We did London... Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, but nothing in, in the middle. And that was half a job. Mm. And this time, I would say, you know, really do it and do it, do it quickly. Because I, I was at the COVID inquiry yesterday. I mean, I, I don't know what you make of what's coming out. But as far as I'm concerned, this is exposing the complete inadequacy of the governance of Britain. In any one time, and I speak from experience in my old years as, you know, MP and minister... I don't think any more than 50 people run this country. The effect of the way Parliament works, the parliamentary whip system, 
actually disempowers the elected house. It hands a lot of power to the system. And at any given time, there's 50 or there or thereabouts, some politicians, some advisors, some civil servants who are effectively running the country. I would say that's a dysfunctional way to run a country like ours in normal times. It's a dangerous way to run a country in a pandemic where that kind of dysfunctional uh, group were foisting decisions with no thought on the rest, on the rest of the country. It was exposed yesterday. I don't know if you saw my evidence yesterday. I, I, I had it exposed to me in the papers that I saw for the COVID inquiry that they knew, Hancock says it in his evidence, he knew that tier three wouldn't work. He said, but I had to go out and, and you know, I had to present a policy that I knew wouldn't work. So they knew it wouldn't work. We were saying it's gonna damage people's lives and damage our economy. And so you can't do it on the basis that you're doing, but they did, they imposed it anyway. You know, think about that. They, they played divide and rule from the center of government against English cities in the middle of a pandemic. And to me, that just, you know, this isn't a sort of, we'll get round to it one day. The rewiring of Britain is now urgent, as far as I'm concerned. And as you know, I think mm -hmm. that means reforming the commons, proportional representation. I would say radical reform of the whip system. An elected Senate of the nations and regions, as Gordon, uh, as Gordon recommended, rightly. And then more devolution out of that system. Rewire the country completely. And then I think you set it up for a progressive century. If you don't do that, will forever be trapped in a system mm. that doesn't work for everybody everywhere. Well, the mixture of optimism and radicalism was a very good reason to get up and go outside and come back up the stairs again, if <laughs> I, have, I have to say. Um, but just, just coming, because the, the other thing, certainly at the States, when we've been talking about a great deal, um, is the fiscal, not disaster, the real fiscal challenges ahead for a Labour government if a Labour government is elected. Um, you, you look at the, um, the OBR plans and you look at uh, the government's own thinking sort of three or four years out into local government in particular, but also to the, all the unprotected departments, a £20 billion effective cut in budgets. And you think, how is it going to be possible for a Labour government to have its progressive moment or its progressive years in these kind of fiscal circumstances? But I guess two questions come out of that. One is... Do you regard the rewiring that you've been talking about as the relatively, um, in terms of billions of pounds, inexpensive answer to show that a radical edge in the early years, that's the kind of thing that could actually get Labour through the first couple of years of government? And second, um, perhaps more awkwardly, do you think that at some point we're going to have to revisit the question of local taxation? Well, um, I think there is a lot that can be achieved through that rewiring that I spoke about. So to be fair, I always try and be fair. This government does deserve some credit for the way it's established the devolution arrangements that we've currently got. And I don't know if you all know, but Greater Manchester and West Midlands have been given a trailblazer deal. And last week in the autumn statement, we got details of how our single settlement will work. So we're moving at the next spending review to a Welsh style or a Scottish style block settlement and actually it's going to give us quite a lot of leeway more than I thought we would get right. and I think if you move our system is becoming a single system really you know the silos are breaking down in the greater Manchester system I think you can spend pu public money much better in that type of context and that would be a you know a sensible reform before thinking about maybe raising more money you know that mm. you can get more from what we're currently doing by working working differently but the question will still arise, as I think you're, you're nudging me towards, that you, know, you, you won't be able not to raise the issue of, of tax. 
And, you know, it is worth going back to, to 97. I, I kind of remember that moment. I don't know if you all remember it. There was something called the Frost Programme. Do you remember in those, in those days? It became Mar, I think, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but it was the Frost program in those days. And I remember, and it took a few years, by the way, and this point I was making about expectation. I think it was 2000 where Tony Blair went on it one was. Sunday morning mm. and he just said, we're going to raise NHS spending to European levels. And people remember that. And it was bold. And Gordon remembers it too. <laughs> I, I know he did. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> but I was um, just getting ready to stand in the 2001 election. And I remember gulping a little bit. Because there was an honesty then about we, there would need to be a tax increase to pay for mm. the NHS, and there was the one-less review, and and I, I just think think back to that because you know the public I think are ready to, to be given a sort of sophisticated argument about where mm. things might need mm. to change, and from a local level, I mean someone at some point is going to have to revalue the council tax uh, system, aren't they? I mean you can't. Uh, ignore that one much longer but you could let us do you know there are things you could do Andrew that I don't think mean the sky falls in for instance you could build the north of England's new railway line using well part using land value capture I, I always have to admit I have to admit it really carefully when I'm back at home that I'm the person who put the funding package together for Crossrail. It's not a really popular thing to admit to in uh, mm. northern circles that you, 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 know, you put together the Elizabeth Line funding package, but I did. And actually, London contributed a lot to the Elizabeth Line. I think it needs to be mm. remembered. And it was innovative, but the big mistake was we didn't put a land value capture mechanism in because the infrastructure raises the land values all the way along it. And you can kind of take some of that, not all of it maybe, but a part of that legitimately can come back to repay the cost of the infrastructure. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't a Labour government do that? Why wouldn't we have a tourist tax? Everywhere else has one in Europe or nearly everywhere else. Simple things like that. I don't think we should be so frightened of... Mm. I can understand, it's easy for me to say sitting here, the front bench are in a different position and you know, I absolutely respect where they are. They've got an election to win. But I think we've got to start thinking about you know, if we're going, this country's broken, isn't it? Everything feels like it's going backwards. We've, if we're going to get some hope flowing around the places, I know we can, and I'm, I'm absolutely confident we will. We do still have to start saying, well, how are we going to get the investment up front to start, to start re rebuilding and repairing things? Well, I can't think of a better way of starting this conference, as I say, with a bit of optimism and oomph and this brief conversation because of the Conservatives uh, fiddling with the fire alarm system. Uh, <laughs> as I say, it is a truncated moment, but I'd like to take a few questions from the floor before we, before we close. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Tony Ruth, I've been a counselor for 20 years. Um, You've you rightly uh, mentioned uh, local government. It's been continually deprived of proper funding from the Tories over the last 13 years. Um, 
What do you think a, a, a Labour government should review for the proper funding of local government, bearing in mind the additional services, ever-increasing services that we have to provide? Um, it's not only council tax, it may be also uh, central uh, general taxation uh, and other ways of raising funding for local government. Uh, and also, I'm a, a borough councillor, I've been a county councillor. Do you think Labour ought to review the whole system of local government const uh, construction uh, for more unitary councils and more mayoralties, like your excellent one, so that, in a sense, there isn't duplication between two local authorities? Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I do believe we should move to a system based on unitaries, for, for sure. Um, I think, in a sensible world, we would revalue council, council tax. Um, more broadly, uh, I have never moved away from the call that I made as health secretary for a national care service, so social care funded in a, in a very different way. Personally, I would do that um, through, I would abolish inheritance tax in its current form, but replace it with a care levy that everybody would pay, but obviously the wealthiest would pay, would pay the most of. And I think that's sellable because people, families, and we're going through this as a family at the moment, it's no fun draining your parents' bank account to pay for care. Tell me that, is that can anyone tell me that's better than a, a kind of structured care levy where everyone could just have, you know, you just don't have to worry about that stuff. You just, and the care's provided free. And obviously that would, would, would be something that um, would, would shore up uh, local, government, local government finance. So those are just a few thoughts as to, as to things that I, I would do. I do think the whole country needs to move now to a devolution a devolution deal. The combined authority model, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, create division with London, but, you know, I think the GMCA model is probably superior to the GLA model, I would say, in that the GMCA is the councils, and when you have the councils knitted in completely to a single delivery system, with then that single settlement I was talking about getting from Whitehall, I think you've got a model there for a very efficient way of of, of running public services with very little duplication of function uh, within it. And I would say that model, you know, London may be different, and, but everywhere else in England, I think, should move to the combined authority model with single settlement funding. And you, men you mentioned the continent earlier on. That is, of course, a much more familiar model all across the European continent as well for the big cities. Uh, can I take another question? Uh, gentleman here, please. Hi, Andy. Um, so yeah, just um, a quick question about... Um, Football governments, specifically, um, whether you think local authorities, local mayors, should have more of a say over club ownership, um, what oh, happens to communities, etc. <laughs> and yeah, kind of. And of course, yeah, I tell us we about would. that. <laughs> and might. also, whether kind of you wish you would have done more when you were culture secretary in terms of this. Yeah, um, I had a, a Premier League issue when I came in as culture secretary. It was the first day, actually. It was the 39th game, if you remember, uh, and I, I, I stopped that, and I set them questions at the time for the running of the game, I would have absolutely wanted to move forward with a, an independent regulator. I couldn't, though, persuade the government I was in to do that. Um, so, yeah, I would look back and wish I could have done more um, around, around that. I think, again, credit where it's due. This government has committed to bringing forward a bill in the, in the, um, the King's speech. Um, I think the way football has changed means it's, it's beyond local authorities, I would say. Uh, 
or even indeed governing bodies of the sport at a national level, I think you do need a powerful uh, economic and sporting regulator, independent. You know, the Everton case is, is a, a case in point. I think the Premier League got worried about an independent regulator. Oh, God, we're going to have to do something. They, they looked at Everton as a, perhaps an easy, easy target. Um, and I, I've been outspoken on this in recent days. I declare my interest. I'm a season ticket holder at Everton, but sometimes you have to, you'd have to uh, fight for, your, for the things you believe in. Um, they changed the rules of this process in the middle and you know, the sanction they've hit Everton with in trying to show they could be a regulator. I think they've actually shown they can't be a, a regulator, mm. to, if you follow my logic. Um, so I, I think, it, and it would be beyond a council or it, 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 you're dealing here now with national, with state entities, aren't you, that are running football clubs, global finance. I think it absolutely requires now a, an independent, powerful economic regulator for football. We are already, I'm afraid, nearly out of time. Two blokes on the, on the platform, two, two male questions. I'm looking for a female colleague here. I'm sorry, I've seen the lady behind you there to ask the final question of this session. Um, I'm Sophie right. Downreiter from the Centre for Long-Term Resilience, and it was music to my ears to hear you talking about rewiring the country for a progressive century. And I wondered, we find, when talking about resilience, that sometimes politicians aren't bold enough because the best result, if you invest in resilience, can be that nothing bad happens and that may not be a vote winner. Um, so I wondered whether you have advice for other politicians on encouraging them to be bolder, to spend and invest in, in preempting problems rather than pay billions in, in, in the economy or in, in, in lost lives later, um, and whether you think Labour's plan will include whole of government resilience to major risks like pandemic and AI. Thank you. Wow, my goodness. Uh, well, one minute, 15. I'm not sure I can do justice to all of that brilliant question, but I'll try on the first part of it, which was around prevention. I am really clear that we could achieve a much fairer, more equal society if we prioritised things differently and spent public money differently, and particularly prioritise housing I am of the view that we should follow Finland and have a national housing first philosophy. And again, this should be a learning from the pandemic. People cannot have a good life without a good home. A good home is the foundation for everything. Good health, you know, everything else in life. And yet, many, many, many millions of British people do not have a secure home um, and are living in a really insecure sort of position when it relates to their housing. If we had a national housing first philosophy where we gave you know, everybody a good secure home as a human right in UK law, I think we'd be setting people up to succeed and I think we would spend public money in a much more beneficial way than what we often do, which is in a crisis way through the, through the, benefits, the benefits system. The model I was describing in Greater Manchester allows a huge shift towards prevention when it comes to the, you know, the use of, uh, of public money. And, and I think that is what I would do to build much greater resilience uh, in, in families, communities, the country, uh, the country as a whole. We actually set people up to fail as far as I can see. You know, this kind of narrative that's coming back in around benefits, you know, this sort of divisive rhetoric. From our point of view, if you set people up to succeed through giving them security, 
in terms of their finances and their housing, they will succeed. There is an argument for a basic income as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and yet, we kind of have this sort of Westminster-driven rhetoric that almost assumes the worst in people. Everyone's going to be trying to play the system, trip them up, put, you know, put, put uh, kind of tests in front of them. Honestly, I would say the evidence says the opposite. If you, if you go at it the other way and put the foundations down beneath all people and give them the, the, the chance to, to, to succeed, they will. And I think as a country, we could look to Scandinavia and see how they do it. And I think they get much better social outcomes than, than, we, than we manage. So a big shift in public spending towards prevention, early intervention is the way to go. Um, I am personally really excited about the possibility of a shift of national government to a bunch of really hard, tough-minded um, people who speak like the rest of the country and never went to Eton. I think we have a new generation, <laughs> a new generation of leaders, and many yeah. of them are in the shadow cabinet, but one of the leaders of the leaders is sitting right beside me, and I'd like you to give a big welcome to Andy Bernard. Oh, thank you, Andy. Thanks very much. And can I... We're over on the clock, but could I just say, you know, I want to leave you in no doubt about this. M myself, all the other mayors, we're 100% behind Keir and the Shadow Cabinet. You know, obviously there are times when you have to take a different perspective because you're a mayor for the place and you've got to do a place-first approach when it comes to devolution. If you don't do that, if you try and do a party-first approach all the time, the public will quickly switch mm. off. It's got to be place-first. Anas does that in Scotland, Mark does it in Wales, I do it in Great Manchester, Sadiq does it here. It's the right thing to do because that connects kind of people to Labour because you're putting the place first. But just don't doubt we are, all of us, working to make sure that it is Keir who's our next uh, Prime Minister. And if we got in place those plans that I described to get on with delivering a new generation of council homes, public transport reformed outside of the, outside of the capital, Seriously, it could, be, it could be more exciting than 1997 because we could get on and make change happen, more meaningful change more quickly. So I, I wasn't sort of giving you a glib comment when I said it could be better than 1997. We've all got a responsibility to make it so. This country's desperate for it. Let's get some hope flowing through this land again. We can't carry on as we are. Let's get Labour elected and let's get to work. Thanks very much, everybody. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.